0: Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 81. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host with the Bostonese accent, Tom Smiley, and we we're gonna talk about legacy.
1: I don't get what this references is. Do I have a Bostonese accent? Am I missing some like cultural event that's happened? No, it's just your
0: accent, bro. You have the you know, you have the Boston thing. Sometimes when you drink drinking, it, it comes out a little more than other times, but I was thinking about the accents we've had on this podcast before. Like we've had uh, we've had Icelandic with with Marcus, right? We've had uh, Tom Cairns with the the Canadian raising.
1: We've we've had we've had, we've had a collection of wonderful accents. We on have, the show as guests for sure.
0: But I don't know if we ever had Southern drawl before.
1: Wait, do we have a guest tonight?
0: We do, man. We have an amazing guest. You probably. Don't know him from Twitter because he just created his account recently. That's Wilson Hunter. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> Hello, friends. What's going on, bro? I haven't Thank heard your you. voice in months.
2: Yeah, I really appreciate you guys for having me. I've been sort of hiding in my uh, podcastless hole for a little while. So dead format is my, my entry point back into the world.
1: Well, we saw that hole you're hiding in, that office you have with those pinball machines.
2: That's right. I'd be hanging
1: out there all the time, too.
2: Yes, pinball has distracted me a little bit from magic, I have to say.
0: Well, the old cardboard, uh, excuse me, cardboard live office was sick. The one with the ping pong table.
2: That's right. Well, that was so it was cool. It was also free space, and um, some large company ended up buying the space, so we had to leave.
0: Ah. I'm, well, I mean, the new one looks sick, too. I saw the kegerator and the, uh, the pinball machines.
2: Yeah, the new one is more, it's, I mean, it's a legit office. It's like the Cardboard Live office, so it's more customized to our tastes and needs. It is significantly smaller than that other one, but that's because we're, we, we're paying for it. But it does have pinball, and it also has, like you said, a kegerator of kombucha and all your uh, the things you need, cold, nitro cold brew coffee. Oh, beautiful. So, there you go.
0: Very nice. And is is it still downtown area-ish?
2: It's actually in the the same building as the the old office that you saw.
0: Oh, sick. So, yeah, very yeah. nice location. How are things going with CBL?
2: Pretty good. So, uh, James and I have been working pretty hard at cardboard live, launching, kicking off the new year with supporting the the new set and a lot of the arena streams. People if people use Cardboard Live, they may have seen that. If they watch that format, I know many of our listeners actually do not watch arena streams, I guess, right? I don't I don't really know what the overlap is here. Because Dead Format is also I mean, you guys are not only an Eternal podcast, you're like sort of like deep. You're like far, far on the uh (laughs) the spectrum of eternal, right?
0: We're definitely on some spectrum, yeah.
2: (laughs) Sure. Um. So yeah, Cardboard Live is going really well James and I just had a, a planning day Of talking about a lot of the Planning out a lot of the things That we're going to be working on For the next several months On the product side So it was a fun day
0: well, That's yeah, awesome, seeing,
1: man Seeing the early release event With people actually being able to check the cards out On streams was nice I usually don't watch a lot of Actual like arena streamers But getting to see your product was kind of cool
2: Really appreciate that, thank
0: you yeah, no, definitely. I was, I was checking it out, too, because it was the first time you could see the cards. Like I, Spoilers at this point, I read them. And because we, we do like the, the set review, we, I actually read the rares. But like, I don't retain the information. I don't know if it's me getting older or just there's been too many Magic sets at this point. But until I actually like see the cards being played, I don't really process them. So I was definitely watching, too.
2: Yeah, I feel you. I've sort of gone deep on, well, not only because of Cardboard Live you know knowing some of the cards but on a cube sort of obsessing over what i'm going to add to my cube from this from this set so uh
0: oh yeah you're a big cube head a big blockhead i guess
2: that's right so we're actually we're we're christening this office space with a cube weekend this weekend some of my my buddies are coming up and we're just gonna cube any, any
0: braverman's part of the party
2: Yes, multiple Bravermans will will be in the office. Oh
0: sick. Jealous. Indeed. Yeah, that was a fun cube, man. I noticed you were you're maybe uh, piecing off a few cards.
2: Yeah, I'm not selling anything that was in the cube. Okay. But uh yeah, just some extra cards that I that I had. So Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I was worried about the cube when I saw that, but I'm glad to hear. I also Thank I noticed you. I was just looking when we were waiting for Tom to get on the call, I was looking at your cube, the the new list that you posted. Uh-huh. And I was happy to see, my girl, Knight of the Reliquary, make a triumphant return.
2: Oh, that's right. So you, you actually—that's pretty good memory because I don't think Knight was in the queue when you when you came, right?
0: It wasn't. And my third pick was Caracas, and my fourth pick was Maze. And oh snap! I, I waited <laughs> the whole draft for Knight of the Reliquary, and I figured it must have just not shown up that draft.
2: Oh no! I never realized that. Well, no, you it did isn't... send
0: me the list. It was my own fault for assuming.
2: Oh, that's true. It is a 720, so when eight people draft it, you see half the cards. Right, So you yeah. never really know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised to find Knight was not in the cube, but I'm glad that it has uh, been restored to its rightful place in the 720.
2: No, Knight's fun. I, mostly I added Knight actually because of exactly the interaction that, that you just gave me because I think that it's good and it's a solid card to have in the cube. It's not like so good that I think it needs to be in every cube. It's uh, first of all, Silesnia or green-white or whatever you want to call it, is a stacked guild, um, and then those colors don't really want for three drops. So I mean, obviously it's a great utility card, and there's awesome a lot of awesome utility lands in cube, but it also just becomes one of these like mid-range cards in a color combination that, you know, I don't know. It's I'm not I, you're probably turning red in the face from my my smack talk of night. Night, night is good. I added it back to the cube. So therefore, I think it's it's a good card, but yeah,
0: it lets you do interesting stuff, you know. Like it does building land tutor packages, like have, having outs to combo when you're in crappy colors.
2: <laughs> no, that's a lot of fun, and there there are a lot of really sweet lands. And my cube actually has a lot more lands than normal because one of my cube philosophies is that because of the high power level of a cube and the fact that you actually. Uh, get way more playables obviously than a regular limited format and you're actually cutting quite good cards for your deck um i put a lot of lands so the, it's it's something like two and a quarter lands for in every pack on average oh wow and uh and because of that i just it just you know makes people draft uh, need to draft a little bit better than generally picking from like the best like 29 really great cards that you can, you can play in your deck um, also, it just gives you more, you know, more powerful picks, and it just makes things more interesting. So there's a lot of lands in the in the cube. Something like Gavyny Township is a great example of utility land that goes really well with, with yeah. night. That's it's a card that's not in every cube. So,
0: so yeah. Speaking of lands, I noticed you have Dryad of uh, Naked on a Tree Grove. I can never remember its name, but the new card.
2: That's right. So I'm. It's it's a fringe card for my cube. However, it does enough good things that i think it's worth putting in and and actually for all the reasons i just sort of trash talk night you could say the same thing about this card which is it does a lot of things okay in just sort of like a decent sort of valuey mid-rangey sort with a little bit of a higher end deck um but it does enough of the stuff well that i think it's it's solid i like the sort of base green splash a bunch of things deck being able to at least support that so that one person can play that every now and then my cube doesn't overdo that so that everybody is just having a terrible mana base. But I do like for one person in the draft to be rewarded for, for picking these cards that let them, you know, basically play four colors. And that sort of helps out with that deck.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And Tom, actually, I don't know if you know this, but Tom's actually the highest rated Moto cube player. His <laughs> limited rating was like 2100 last I checked.
1: No, 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 no. I think I, think I broke 19 <laughs> by just cubing, which is oh, actually snap. like, it, it's it's... I don't know. It was a pretty nice accomplishment because right? you're only getting like, like three or four points when you win one, and you're losing a ton if you go two one. But I love cube. It's it's one hundred percent my favorite format, and I just don't get to do it enough.
2: Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. You guys need to come down for the next one, Ian. When you came down that one time, not only did I really appreciate it, but it was a uh, it was a blast.
0: So. Oh yeah, dude, it was awesome. That yeah. was uh, that was one of my highlights of that year, man. That was, uh, that was a good trip. And I have family down there, too, coincidentally.
2: So Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, so I didn't well. know that about you, Tom. That's, that's, that's really sick.
1: Yeah, I love it.
0: Maybe you should listen more often, bro.
2: <laughs> yeah. See, I knew that, that would come out pretty soon. It's not this podcast. I just haven't really been listening to, to many uh, Magic. Actually, I don't listen to any Magic podcasts right now.
0: Yeah, no, we we feel you, bro. You've been producing content for a long time, and the more you produce, the harder it gets to consume in my experience.
2: I did get a little bit burned out there for uh, you know a little bit, so hopefully I'll, I'll get back into it here. Cube is definitely is roping me back into the game in general, and usually I find that once you get back in with something, you just start playing a lot of different things. So
0: yeah, for sure. All right, well, we're gonna do a little bit of housekeeping. I kind of I kind of jumped out of order there because I thought of a good intro at the last second, but. Uh Tom and I unfortunately, we have some bad news to report we uh We did not hear back from Michael Bloomberg, so
1: I thought two hundred and fifty thousand dollars was a very reasonable ask. I thought and so and I mean he's that's... spending
0: two hundred million like what's what's that you know like point zero eight percent
1: yep and... now we need to reach out to Andrew yang and offer our services for free, yeah. Yeah, absolutely yeah
0: man you know, Mike seemed like a gamer to me like i really thought you know gamers helping gamers right like l- let's help each other here and you know maybe maybe 250 was a little ambitious of of an ask but i feel like we're reaching his core constituency like you know our our audience <laughs> is all in the 18 to 49 demo they're all uh leftists as far as i know so,
1: i i think that bloomberg would look to ban white claw sales so i don't know if we can say that we're fully on board with it but close well, that's
0: out. a no-go well i mean he denied us so we're completely off board fuck my bloomberg <laughs> so yeah did, i i was able to hit up a pre-release actually on friday night i went to game etc and uh i actually i opened a pretty nice pool i had three final deaths which is like the the exile removal spell which is pretty important in this set so i i was able to 3-0 and get shit on by everyone playing legacy for not playing legacy that night but all three of my opponents in the cube said that they were legacy players so that was pretty cool i'm sorry cube in the pre-release and obviously i've been drafting online i just talked to our boy jesse inman a couple minutes ago he's going to the pro tour uh february 1st and he was uh wanting to discuss theros draft so Similar to my arrangement with Marcus last Pro Tour, uh, it looks like I will be uh, conferring with at least one person this time. So that's something to look forward to. And uh, I only have two trophies so far. I've only had like seven drafts under my under my belt so far. But looking forward to drafting this format a lot so far. So good.
1: Yeah, I got invited to a draft camp on oh, Saturday nice. to do a little bit of PT prep for um, some of my New Hampshire friends and. I, I couldn't make it. I got invited the night before, and it was snowing, and I basically don't have control over my schedule anymore. But I, I was excited, just one, to be asked, and two, to have the potential to actually go play. But I couldn't make it happen.
0: Up in the Granite State? Yep. Did they, uh, did they invite you
1: because you have a Granite State of mind? I, I did, probably not. I was trying to call you a I think, head, bro oh okay yeah i mean i think that they reached they reached far and deep into their facebook friends list and they're like <laughs> hey i know this guy and i know that he plays magic and we can't get anybody else to come draft so let's ask him. <laughs> it was it was more like that
0: no oh, you're many stuff short bro <laughs> how how disappointing is it though that we have a chiefs versus Niners super bowl
1: i so one I was so on board with the. I, I wanted the Titans to win. I wanted the Titans to roll through. Of course. I am glad that Rogers lost. Fuck um, you. I'm. am sorry. I'm. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. Screw them. Um, but I really wanted to see the Titans win. So it's unfortunate.
0: It's just it's so disgusting to me that we're gonna have two red teams in the Super Bowl, and I understand like they're different shades of red. Like Kansas City is like, you know, all American red and and yellow and what san francisco's like syringe on the street blood red and bitcoin gold yellow maybe so it's not quite the same shade but like afc's red nfc's blue and shades thereof like just do this right guys why why do we have to have two red teams against each other in super bowl it's an abomination
2: Frankly, I don't. I don't really watch football. I tuned in uh, to some highlight of a guy crawling out into the field and pretending to urinate like a dog. <laughs> what? And then and then quickly found out in the first paragraph that the same guy like beat the mother of his child and then like broke his three year old child's arm and was like spent time in prison and and then I realized you know part of the reason why I, I stick to baseball.
1: But
0: oh wait, does he does he work for the Sanders campaign as a field organizer? I might have seen that story.
1: What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mason, not, you're, more not, a, no, you're more no, of a baseball a guy, right? Uh, you're more
0: of a baseball guy, right, Wilson?
2: I am. I'm a big baseball fan. So I, I partake. There's a couple magic people in my, my main fantasy baseball league. Bryant, Cook, and Tannen Grace are in my, my fantasy league. I'm a big Braves fan. I've been... Patiently waiting for them to sign Josh Donaldson for a while if anybody cares about that and it didn't happen. Twins signed him, so we have a gaping hole at third base and in the middle of the batting order right now at cleanup. So not sure what's gonna happen. Bro, but are, are the Yankees
0: gonna win a World Series in February right now? Like are the Reds are the, Red so- are the uh, Astros gonna be relieved of their championship?
1: Oh. <laughs> I don't I don't think the Astros are gonna be doing much of anything without their communication intact. <laughs>
2: Unfortunately I don't think it would go to the to the Yankees, right? And I don't think it would go to anybody, but I guess it would be the Dodgers would be the next in line. But I guess, th-
0: yeah.
2: There's no way that it would be that they're gonna vacate it. But yeah, that stuff's pretty insane, right?
0: So there's no way you think that they'll have to vacate that?
2: Oh there, well there's no way that someone else would get a World Series. Title okay, yeah, I, I believe that
0: part, yeah. I um, mean I believe both parts. I don't really know much about it. I just know that, you know, they're in trouble.
2: The other thing that could happen is because of the whole wire controversy, I I think that now the the players are going to be under the microscope, and they sort of got off the hook with the trash can banging. But I'd like to see a few of those guys sort of uh, do some time.
1: Can we we talk a little bit about how Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame and how what the Astros did was way worse than what he did? Dude, that's like... I'm sorry, I just want to throw that out there.
2: No, I mean, that's that's been my number one point in my baseball chats and everything. Like, it's egregious that Pete Rose is banned for life. And the GM and, and manager who orchestrated this, like, elaborate multi-year cheating scandal that led to a World Series win got a one-year suspension. And, of course, they got fired. But from MLB, that's just a one-year suspension. I mean, they should have lifetime bans easily. And then the players got off until now everybody on the Internet sort of figuring out the uh, – the whole wire controversy, I'm, I'm thinking that they're going to have to do something with the players, but it is insane when you have Pete Rose and his lifetime ban.
0: It is pretty nuts, yeah, just from an outside observer. And fuck Alex Cora, obviously, and Carlos <laughs> Beltran. Two, two players that I was more than happy to see, or managers, I guess, now. But Are you, are you a fan of the Red Sox?
1: Tom. Tom, Tom, I, Tom. I, I definitely am. I'm going to ignore everything that Alex Cora did before he came to the Red Sox, so I'm ambivalent about it. I'm technically a
0: Yankees fan, but I I don't really care that much about the Yankees.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, they're they're doing their whole investigation on the Red Sox now, so I think that's a good thing for Red Sox fans because it seems like it's almost certainly going to come back with that they didn't do anything so that'll get rid of the doubt i guess but yeah i
1: think i think they probably actually i mean they they won a world series a few years ago so this past season pretty much confirms that they were not cheating given how they performed down the stretch sure. <laughs> <laughs> so so there we go
0: so now that we've invited wilson into our listeners cars and earbuds and homes and everything i guess we should probably in case someone hasn't heard of you one of the one of the few listeners who joined up with the Dead format based on personal allegiance or something, uh, you were on The Brainstorm Show, which was probably the best technical magic podcast Aww. for like an 18-month stretch, right? I appreciate that. Well, it was something an 18-month like a...
1: month stretch spread out over like six years, right? <laughs> 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 yes.
0: Actually, I was thinking about this. You guys actually covered... Pretty, you, you release episodes pretty regularly during what i consider the dark months of modern legacy which were the time between when dig and when, when cruise was banned and when dig was finally banned which was like the heart of 2015 where we were sort of struggling through that dig meta and there were just a few playable decks that really optimized for dig and you guys did some work on like death mentor i remember like some uh some good stuff trying to uh trying to fight the menace that was dig through time
2: it's called Esper Dementor.
0: Mm. <laughs> I played it at Eternal Weekend.
2: How'd that go?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> Sorry. I'll take I'll take the blame for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, nah, it was a fun deck, man. And yeah, I think uh I think it was a good podcast and then more recently you did the the uh Eternal Glory, I believe it was called.
2: Yeah, I, I don't even remember. But yeah.
0: They're all eternal something.
2: It's eternal glory. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, that was until very recently, right?
2: So, do you know the story behind Eternal Glory? It was sort of a it was sort of a troll name because I sort of figured that there would be like a lot of uh, religious podcasts that were called something like that, (laughs) and so. Fortunately, my co host didn't think about that at all. And I was hoping what would happen was we would get like a bunch of older women like searching their Bible studies or something and then come across our podcast. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I don't know how much that actually happened, but
0: that's not a bad idea, man. I, uh, sure. I was thinking more of like Civil War because like there's an old school tournament, Glory Con, that's actually happening next week in uh, Pennsylvania. So whenever I would hear Eternal Glory, I would just hear the drums beating.
2: <laughs> Interesting.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's Wilson. Quite, quite, a, quite a bit of legacy credentials. I remember we were doing our decade review a few weeks ago, and you were in a top eight from like 2012. So you must have been, I noticed your Skype name, you have a birthday in the 1990s. So I'm guessing 2012, you were probably about 14 years old.
2: <laughs> um, Blue Red
0: Painter if I recall
2: That's right So that was 2011 I think GP Providence Yep, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was three months Before I got married And so that was that was definitely That was my best My first uh, finish I guess That qualified me for the first Pro Tour And the Pro Tour that I played in was uh, The weekend after I got back from my honeymoon And while I was on my honeymoon They announced the format of Modern so oh sick um i played maybe you know like one match of modern like a couple days before the event i also like did like two drafts with my buddies at the local shop and uh let's just say my my draft against john finkel and pat cox and those guys didn't go very well
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's fair man (laughs) but yeah no you've uh you've definitely been putting up you know results in legacy for a long time I imagine most of our listeners are familiar with you, so we can pretty much skip this. The reason that we had you on for this particular episode, we've been wanting to get Wilson on for a while now and making schedules work and stuff, but you said something in a group chat about uh, a certain card, a certain astrolabe, or astrolab, as it's known on this podcast sometimes, that was totally in line with how I felt about the card. And we've been, I think, overdue on... A sort of a deep dive on bands in legacy uh what you know what wizards d- design philosophy is with regard to bands at this point and you know what the you hear the community constantly clamoring now for bands no matter what's going on they're clamoring for bands right now it's veil vale of summer oko and arkham's astralia are the three cards that you hear discussed the most and sometimes mystical sanctuary too
1: but you've heard mystical sanctuary
0: yeah have you wilson
1: I, don't, I haven't really been
2: talking to people outside of our chat, so.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard that from only two people so far, but uh, they are two of the more plugged in people. And that's not really like a, a Twitter level opinion, but it's, it's a more people who are grinding level opinion. And I, I'm not on board with it for what it's worth, but. I figured, yeah, that's,
2: That seems like one of those things that like, the people that are next-leveling each other with blue mirrors like Anurag yeah. Das uh, probably complains about if I had to guess.
0: <laughs> well, I just wanted to – I don't know exactly where to start this conversation, so I, I figured we just did this in our decade rap, like a sort of year-by-year review of the bands. But I just wanted to really quick, just to refresh everyone's memory – some of the bans in Legacy, and I broke them out into three categories, which I think are, are the best way to describe these. Bans on power level, bans based on the like structural uh, integrity of the card, I guess, or you know, what it does to the game overall. And then a third category, which I, I don't really have a great explanation or a great uh, name for, which is like fun or protecting the metagame. So Shahrazad was the first legacy ban of the modern era that was 2007. I'm not sure the name was playing it, but uh, organized play brought it to the attention of the design team that it was a structural problem for the game because you could potentially be drawing out these games and it also created like a space problem if you're having like a large tournament if you can imagine having sub games on the same table you know in the middle of a long table at a GP. So that's a good example of like a structural ban. The ban of survival of the fittest in December 2010 after Vengevine had been printed, that's a good example of a power level ban in my estimation. And the ban of Renin 6 most recently in November of 2019. The the reasoning on that ban, they did give uh, some numbers indicating that Rug Delver had like a 55% win rate. But they also mentioned cards like Thalia and Mother of Runes by name. They mentioned that Legacy looked healthy beforehand and looked less healthy afterwards. So they they mentioned the card being hostile towards x being abused with Wasteland, and being, you know, stifling to the metagame as reasons for their ban. So I'm gonna call that like a fun protectionist sort of ban. So those are like the three archetypes, I would say, of, of bans. And I think it's important to look at the language that WotC is using these days because they give us these long write-ups of, of why they're banning these cards. And I think that this is all good stuff when we're digging into these bans.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> so hey, I have not- a
2: question, Ian. Yeah. Are we going to talk about Sensei's Divining Top at all?
1: I mean, we can, we can sort of bridge right from the uh, Shahrazad argument into Divining Top if we're talking about structurally what Divining Top does to tournament times. And I know that ex- very experienced Miracles pilots aren't sitting there wasting time with Top, but if you walk through the mid and lower tables at the tournaments during the Miracles era man, it was going 20 minutes over every time, and most of the time it was a slow Miracles player to blame.
0: Yeah, if we go to the announcement from, from Wasi for Top, I have Top as straddling the line between power level and structural, because their actual, Forsyth wrote this, not Ian Duke, and Forsyth said, Miracles has been the best deck in the format for some time, we were hopeful this would change over time, but it has not. That alone is not necessarily enough to move to ban a card from the deck, but top comes with its own host of issues that center around the timely conclusion of matches in a tournament setting. Coupled with the power of the Miracles deck, this is reason enough for us to take action.
2: What so, about the, uh, the sign in the parking lot? Is that a whole <sighs> new category of like vigilante pressure?
0: Well, I think it is, right? And actually top is the dividing line in my notes between the glory days... Where we had small announcements and everyone agreed that the cards needed to go. And the modern days where Twitter decides what gets banned and Watsi's sort of just following the herd.
2: Can we talk about a particular match of Magic the Gathering that I played against Tom with the card since I divining top of my deck? Uh,
1: okay, so I'm, I'm still. Okay, Grand Prix Columbus. Started off 9-0, did quite a bit of testing, but none of my Miracles opponents like were of the quality of a, of a Day 2 Grand Prix. And I remember the game 3, where I made the decision to double true name and then try to jam through the win. And I remember casting Brainstorm and hitting a Fetchland, a Noble Hierarch, and a Stoneforge Mystic and losing the counter war over a blood moon and getting terminist while you were at one life and that was a very sad was that my first loss of day two or was that my second i remember we were both live for top eight at that point
2: yeah let me think um i th- i lost one match before top eight and i think it was yeah it was day one so uh so yeah you would have been x1 at that point
1: okay that was rough. That was a very rough match. My first, my first meeting with Wilson Hunter, and my second was at a limited Grand Prix in New Jersey, where I was just sitting there, and recent top 16 Pro Tour competitor Wilson Hunter with Mono White <laughs> Vampires came up and said hi to me, and it made my day. So <laughs> two, two very, very well remembered meetings.
2: Well, Tom, I didn't know you. Uh, I think that like the first time that I met you may have been gp columbus match was that correct yeah it definitely was yeah because you're definitely a a very good player and i i think i started hearing or seeing you do well at more of these legacy events after that and you may have been before that i just you know we're in a different region than you but uh but man that was like an insane match like that was like maybe the coolest match of that whole tournament for me and i'm not just saying because like i think we both it was just a lot of decisions and I think we both played pretty tight and it came down to like the narrowest of, of possible margins, you know? Um, I don't know. That's just one of those things that I'll definitely remember for a long time in terms of playing Legacy. It was, it was just cool.
1: Oh, definitely. That was the first... Uh, so that was the 1st nine zero I ever had and I had a few more after that but that was the first day two where I was really thinking to myself like this could actually be it. Like I could top eight. I felt like... I was really well versed in the format because one of my good friends that played legacy moved upstairs for me and we just jammed games for like for months. Um, but I, my testing group for the miracles deck, which was obviously at the top of that time, just wasn't, wasn't the caliber caliber of players that I played in day two. So I lost to another miracles player who had crucible in their deck who actually wasteland locked me i lost to you and i lost to jerry thompson so rip rip my day two but i got to beat uh i got to beat tom ross and a few other people in day one so if you look at my tournament i just like it was awesome to play that many quality people
2: dude my uh my win and i know this we're sort of going on a a rant here but my my winning in to the top eight of that event was a 50-minute game one in the Miracle's Mirror. And my opponent had Cavern of Souls and Red Blast in his, in his main deck.
0: <laughs> it wasn't and, your set,
2: But I also had the nuts uh, on the play. So I went top into Counterbalance. And I think I even... Let me think. Yeah, I think I even Mold. And all of my cards were top, Counterbalance, two lands, Force Blue card. But my opponent had the red blast on the draw. So, like, it was... And then ended up getting a cavern to, like, jam through, like, maybe a mentor or something. It was just the most ridiculous match for winning in top eight where both players had the nuts. But obviously, I think my resolve counter top on turn two ended up actually being able to beat the cavern and everything else. But, uh, I don't know. That was pretty crazy.
1: I, I think one of my favorite reasons... One, one of the reasons why I love Legacy is my favorite constructed format is, like remembering the matches. Like, I played a ton of Standard, but I can't sit down and, like, remember a match that I played that I had as much fun in playing some of these Legacy matches, right? Right. The cards are more iconic, and they stick with you, and you're like, ah, I played this amazing match of Stoneblade versus Miracles four years ago, and here are all the details.
2: Exactly. I agree.
0: So, Tom, if you had to choose between getting a unexpected greeting from Wilson Hunter or getting multiple orgasms from Travis rule, which would you choose?
1: We don't need to bring this into the podcast. I looked at the title of the video and <laughs> I,
0: I didn't, I, I didn't watch the video. Or
1: I, I also this. did not watch the video. I, I, I hope he's okay. <laughs>
0: right. Wilson, one of my, uh, in doing this research, one of the things that kept coming up in my mind was our dinner that we had with Gavin. And thanks, thank Jerry, me for arranging that out in Seattle at that Grand Prix.
2: Yes, that was awesome.
0: That was awesome. But that was before Death Right or Probe had been banned. And we were both playing both of them in our decks. And Gavin, th- that conversation, first of all, I-, I just have like sort of an anti authority stance I guess by default like I, I tend to I tend to like discredit people I, or, or like like I don't know I, I just read if somebody writes something and they're in a position of power I'm just like yeah go fuck yourself or whatever but Gavin totally impressed the hell out of me personally like he he really had his shit together and I felt like man they really have the right guy for this role but his stance on Gataxian Probe man like with it, how it fundamentally broke the rules of Magic and made it a less fun experience, regardless of like the card's power level or anything, I thought it was really enlightening and really made me think. And I think that that's another reason. I think Probe is a good example of a, a structural ban, right? Because like, you're breaking the rules of the game for no cost, effectively. I mean, two life, right? You're, you're now not playing with hidden information on one side. So a part of the game is just ruined, right?
2: Yeah, totally, and that applies to I guess mental misstep as well, which is on our, our our chart here.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I guess that's a good segue into Arkham's astrolabe. So, do you wanna do you wanna quickly sort of sum up your arguments with regard to astrolabe?
2: Me? You're yeah, the if, guest, if esteemed guest. Okay.
0: If you're ready, I mean, you're the guest, but you're also uh, you're the BSD right now. What is that? Big. I can't think of any good euphemism. (laughs) I'm trying to think of a baseball something.
2: Right. Um, Do you know what? Do you know about. Oh, never mind. I'm not going to go any further on that. Uh, So, (laughs) my thought on. Okay, let me think. How do I say this? So, I'm generally somebody who does not jump to bands. In fact, I, I sort of, I don't want to call myself a contrarian, but I i get really irritated at generally people's first response to things doing well as just complaining about it and wanting to ban it. And part of why I d- enjoyed doing the Brainstorm show with my buddies for so long is our, our perspective was always, like, how do we brew within the constraints of the format that we have and, as opposed to constantly complain about what to ban? So all that being said... I say that because I actually am in favor of banning Arkham's Astrolabe whereas there were many times in which I did not want to ban cards like Dig Through Time and Death Shaman because I felt like people were just copying the same deck lists and they weren't building interesting decks when there was plenty of there were plenty of opportunities to actually build within that. So my problem with Arkham's Astrolabe is essentially that it, it takes away a lot of the nuances, the deck-building nuances, in a format that is very rewarding for a lot of intricate, detailed deck-building decisions when you're attacking a metagame of you know 20-plus different archetypes that you might expect to see, and five of them you know are very popular and the good players are playing those. And generally, in those types of healthy legacy metagames, I feel like I am uh, able to get small deck building edges and I make a lot of very specific decisions within the constraints that I have which is oftentimes a a either a three color fair deck or something that is you know maybe off the wall a little bit but what Arkham's Astrolabe does is because it totally changes the structure of legacy in that you can play any color you want without the traditional downside of disrupting your your duels with Wasteland uh a lot of the powerful cards that people are also complaining about banning all float to the top, and then you can play those in pretty much anything, and then I feel like it just becomes good card soup, and it's just not very enjoyable. So I know that's a lot of rambling for me to say. Basically, I think cards like Oko, for example, all being extremely good, uh, traditionally could have balanced themselves out if if you weren't able to cast Oko and everything else that's good in the legacy format, all in the same deck, all without being susceptible to Wasteland. And the biggest slap in the face is the positive interaction between Astrolabe and Oko as well, which I think is just very frustrating.
0: Bro, you're blowing Um, the whole load here.
1: Sorry. No, this is is exactly what we were talking about. It's going to be so much more well-received because Wilson said it. Oh, yeah, they're like, oh man, Wilson is an absolute genius. You should check him out on the dead format. because Yeah, of you gotta put you said. gotta put
0: Wilson Hunter in capitals in our t- show
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: You may not know this. Actually, I now I see why you invited me on because in reality most people in Legacy hate me. And uh, <laughs> so I'm sorry that yeah, you guys didn't realize that. But so, that's my argument.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm totally on board with with that and I, I would echo your sentiments i i am not traditionally appealing for bans i i do think that once i spoke to after that conversation with gavin i was completely on board with banning probe and that that like i said qualifies more as a structural ban i didn't really think death right needed to go but i think there's an argument that that can be a structural ban too because it was a birds of paradise you could play off underground sea and kind of broke the rules of magic and there's a lot of sort of color pie purists that would make that argument still. And I think that Astrolabe is just so much worse in that regard. Like, I I always brew mid-range blue decks. Like, that's sort of my little niche, what I what I enjoy playing. And I'm just not brewing anymore because I keep winding up in the same spot. And it kind of reminds me of watching my wife try to back out of our our driveway, which is just like a straight line back, but there's walls on either side where it's like you start backing up and then you have to cur- like, move forward a little and back up a little and move forward a little. Like I'm trying to brew and wind up in a different spot, but I, in the end, I keep winding up in the same spot, right? And th- that's what so really Are the you So are you letting our
1: listeners know that your wife, who is a brilliantly talented surgeon, might not be able to back a car out of your driveway?
0: I mean, it's possible. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's a little, I'm sorry. But... <laughs> yeah I, I i personally and you know the the best argument i think against banning astrolabe is something that our buddy tom uh karen's brought to my attention this week and something we talked about too a, a while ago is that i think it is lowering the cost of legacy for a lot of people and putting a lot less stress on the dual lands where modern players can make the jump pretty easily where they only need like you know one c and one volcanic or something like that because they, they can play like a four color control deck that's really basic heavy but ultimately i don't think that it's worth the price like that is great that is a great upside of the card but the the cost is really stifling the metagame because you, you can't th- these decks aren't being held to the same this there's not the same price of playing these multiple color cards like blood moon back to basics wasteland you don't have these vulnerabilities that you should have when you're associated with going into multiple colors. So tell yeah, how do you feel? Yes, Yeah, there
1: time. Oh, there so there used to be like this sort of system of checks and balances to keep things that were too greedy in check. And like Wilson talked about how Wasteland isn't effective against these decks, and you just brought up how Blood Moon isn't effective against these decks. There really isn't anything stopping this like this five, four, three, whatever color value arms race where you just shove all these two-for-ones and cantrips into a pile and aren't able to be disrupted because you're still super basic heavy. So I think we're sort of all on board with that. So I have,
2: a, I have a couple additional points. My counterpoint to the it's more affordable argument is that there were plenty of affordable options that weren't for color blue control before Astrolabe. And I would argue that now, if you're a halfway decent player, you're sort of bottlenecked into these types of decks, and sure, the, these types of decks may be more affordable, but you know, there's, there's plenty of other things throughout the healthy history of Legacy that were way more affordable than even Astrolabe Blue, for example. Yeah, like Blue White
0: um, Miracles with one Tundra or whatever.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that was that that several pros actually did very very well with in some grand prix, right? Right. With some budget looking miracles lists.
0: And those are like blue decks, you know. We're not saying you have to play burn or death and taxes or something like that. Depths, some budget choice like that.
2: Sure. I I mean, but but even then, (laughs) those were (laughs) those also.
1: I felt that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. But those were sort of pillars of the format too in in their different days, and you had like Maverick. before Maverick was banned, you know green white maverick there 's all these there there were eras in which there were often uh very good decks that were somewhat affordable and um so I just don 't think that 's a great argument in terms of why Astrolabe needs to be there. My other thing that I want to point out when people bring up Deathrite Shaman, sort of some of the things you were saying, Ian, about it, be breaking the color pie and all that, there's a huge difference, and that is that Deathrite Shaman creates games in which you as the opponent interact with the Deathrite Shaman. Sure, it's the best creature in the format. Sure, it has a lot of different abilities on it, but you can kill it with just about anything, and therefore it affects your deck building, it affects all of your in-game decisions from turn one onward, Astrolabe is something that the the value is already there. It costs one mana, uh, it gets the value, and there's really no great way of interacting with your opponent playing this card in their deck. It's almost a losing proposition to try to interact with it because it's just not, you know, that's that, that bad for you. And um, so that's, that's really the problem that I have with the card.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I think that it's very invisible too. Like, you know, it's easy to, to sort of think that we're overstating the impact that the card has on deck building or you know people point to specific top eights recently where maybe there's only been one astrolabe deck or even no astrolabe decks and say oh this really isn't a problem and i just want to emphasize that we're not saying that this is a power level ban necessarily like we're not saying and they actually had this guy on leaving legacy this week i I gave it a listen there was this guy ryan or brian something like that and he was saying that the best way to beat Astrolabe decks was to play a deck like Tess. And I agree, like you, you know, you're you're casting this do nothing spell on turn one. You're not holding up spell pierce, you're not you're not casting thought seas. you you know, you're you're foregoing interaction on turn one and you're generally not a days deck if you're playing astrolabe. So you're you're really taxing your forces and, and force of negations now. And you know, we're seeing those decks start to incorporate more force of negations, but it really, you know, not everybody wants to play a deck like Tess necessarily, but I will, I will concede that on power level, maybe it's not worth banning the card. It, this is a structural problem, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, you might want to play Tess. I was actually considering it also because I just wanted, thought it'd be sort of fun to, to make Bryant happy. Um, oh, this is name, Bryant,
0: yeah. Thank
2: you. I thought it was Bryant. Is it Brian?
0: Uh, maybe it's Brian, I'm not
2: sure. Um, but at the same time, another thing, another, I guess you call it an issue, is that the hate that they have printed for these types of decks has really gone up quite a bit in the last two or three years. So, as long as you have the, what we're calling structure of Astrolabe, you'll always be able to react to these different axes of the format attacking it because there's so many answers printed now. And uh, maybe week to week, you might be able to try to get some edge against it, but at the end of the day, it's hard to see how the metagame can shift back to anything other than this being dominant for a while, unless they print something else egregious, which will probably just be played in this deck, so...
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard not to be able to be played in this deck.
2: Yeah, you can print some, like, Thought Not Seer or 2.0 or something, and probably would not be played in this deck, but...
0: Yeah. And actually no, I think that yeah. Mystical Sanctuary or Mystic Sanctuary, or whatever it's called, is one of the the number one uh things that I think is actually helping combat the Astrolabe meta-share right now, because if you want to be playing a deck that has three islands in play, you're actually, you know, incentivized to start playing dual lands again in your multicolored deck. So I've actually noticed more decks not not leaning as heavily on astrolabe, is sort of having a mediating effect, I think, on, on the number of prismatic vistas and astrolabes that we're seeing. But that's not healthy to rely on something like Mystic Sanctuary to to give the you know dual lands a spot in the in the format. Yeah. So that makes sense. One thing that you mentioned, Wilson, when you were uh when you were Pete Rose stealing a base running out ahead was the effect that Astrolabe has on the other two cards we mentioned, which were Ren and Six and Veil of Summer. And I think that you're exactly right with regard to Ren and Six. Like, you know, Astrolabe is just a free sort of become an elk, right? You you make you make your first elk off not even having a food in play. So, and Yeah, I'm sorry, what did I say? Run Ren and Six. I'm but sorry. I did
2: I I have some other thoughts about Ren and Six, but go on. <laughs>
0: So yeah, it, it just synergizes really well with Oko. It also synergizes with Teferi, where you can, you know, return to your hand and draw two cards that way. So it just it just plays really well with the the Planeswalkers and this miracles ban miracles suite that we see now. And I think that, you know, there are people that are talking about banning Oko, and I think that really we need to see AstroLave get banned first and then reevaluate where Oko is at that point in time.
2: Yeah, I actually think cards like Oko are pretty interesting in Legacy, and uh, I know people might cringe for me to say this, but I would even I would dare say that they are good in Legacy. Three plus mana fair cards that do a, some grindy stuff. It's usually other cards in the format that are causing those decks to be degenerate in some way. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, it's certainly not the same thing, but we went through some times where people were really unhappy about Leovold and really unhappy about True Name Nemesis. I mean, True Name Nemesis is a mini progenitus, right? But a lot of these cards had the issue of Deathright Shaman, you know, being powered out too quickly, and mm-hmm. Deathrite was really the culprit. I see that in many ways it's, it's similar here uh, in that, I'm just plugging Oko straight into a, a Legacy format maybe a couple years ago, and sure, while while it's like Jace the Mind Sculptor power level, uh, maybe even a little bit better than Jace the Mind Sculptor, I think that that's actually a, the type of thing that Legacy wants more of. In fact, I think Jace was has not ever been a great Miracles card. I, I top-aided that Grand Prix Columbus not playing any, any Jace in my Miracles deck. That's right. Um, and so... I know it's a, it's a little bit of a, (laughs) of a, of a non sequitur there other than, yeah. I mean, I, I actually just think Loco is pretty cool in in cube. I, I hate to be the one harping on cube all the time. It's an amazing cube card, but it's also a really fun card to have in the cube. It's a multicolored card that people will first pick sometimes, but it's like, you know, it's just not over the top by itself, in my opinion, for, for an eternal format. Um, no,
0: and I really like it because one of the things that I always was a little down on about Legacy was that Abrupt Decay was sort of the only, the only playable answer all. I guess, you know, council's Judgment is kind of also a playable answer to everything, but it's a three-mana sorcery that requires two white. So it has a very severe deck building cost, and playing it on curve is, is really challenging. Like, you know, you're tapping out on your turn. Like, Abrupt Decay was lightweight and could answer a Chalice and was a defensible card to have in your deck game one. And now Oko, we do have this answer to different strategies like Blood Moon, or not Blood Moon, but Chalice of the Void. You know, problem permanents that you don't really expect to see or like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of good examples. But, you know, stuff that you don't expect to see in game one, now you have a game one answer to that in your deck. So I do like it from a gameplay perspective, I guess, in that regard. But the the main problem that I have with Oko in theory is that it, it doesn't end games the way that Jace does, like uh, in a, in a timely fashion. Like making a three three takes two turns, and it's not ticking up to some grand ultimate the way Jace is. So just that the games go too long and end up feeling the end game ends up feeling the same every time. And you,
2: wait, you think J- you think Oko is slower than Jace the Mind Sculptor with killing your opponent?
0: Well, don't, at least...
1: don't you just brainstorm with Jace all the time? Like, if you're playing against a Bolt deck, you plus it, and then you brainstorm, but yeah, Jace doesn't really ultimate, does he? I
0: mean, just people, in my experience, I guess, my limited experience with Oko and my tons of experience with Jace, is that people will scoop more often to Jace because of the inevitability of it. Like, you don't need another card. You don't need to draw another card to win the game, right? Like, it it, it will do it on its own. Like, you, you've, you've locked out cards, and now the first time you fate-seal the person, they basically just give up, right? Because you're, you're working towards an inevitability that's already on the board. Whereas with Oko, yes, you can make food and then make it into tokens and slowly attack. But I, I feel like uh, not having, like, a self-contained end-the-game button is a strike against it.
2: That's, like, several uh, layers of argument that is...
0: Yeah, uh, and I'm not... In saying it, like, I guess making a token and making it 3 3, the the clock is probably not that much slower than Jace, now that I'm saying it out loud. That's cool, though. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, what's your opinion on Oko?
1: So, I, I also think that Oko is a fine card, and I know that it has screwed up a lot of other formats, but I think Legacy has the tools of dealing with it. And I think the Stew decks are really what's sort of to blame with why everybody is seeing a ton of Oko right now because it's it's free to play in a lot of shells. And as long as you bring the, the deck building and the color restrictions back, then Oko, Oko gets kept in check. So that that's my opinion. But I think the next card we're going to talk about is... I, I'm very interested in, to hear what Wilson has to say about the next card. Uh, what's the next card? Next card is Veil vale of Summer, right? Yeah, um, I just
2: wanted somebody to introduce it. So Veil vale of yeah. Summer, uh, yeah. I was, I'm glad that I didn't even know. To be honest, there's all these beautiful show notes, and I'm sort of firing from the hip off of uh, you guys here. So.
1: Oh, I didn't, I didn't read them. I just, I felt like that flowed <laughs> naturally. I'm really hoping that Ian and I are on the same page, and that it is next.
2: Oh, it looks like it. Yeah, it looks like it is. It, Does it, anybody perfect. else see these show notes? There we go. Other, other than us.
1: Uh, no, we don't. We don't release them. We've offered to
0: share them with the dude who uh, who made this week in Legacy, the Joe Dyer. Oh, nice. But well, no, generally no.
2: Ian, you should keep a portfolio of these show notes because there's. I'm sure there's some some sort of uh, careers out there. That <laughs> this would be a nice. Uh, I don't know. Maybe
1: maybe impressive. a new job opportunity in Cleveland. Yeah,
0: bro. I'm glad I'm getting credit for my show notes because uh, right now I'm I feel like I'm struggling on the podcast in general. Like I feel like uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Like I just shouldn't even finish my sentences. Oh snap!
1: Oh, bro. Jeez. So
0: veil of summer.
2: <laughs> so veil of summer. I dislike more than Oko, and I was gonna say it's really hard for me to say ban this card. Other, I just wish they hadn't have printed this card personally. So if you drop Oko into the pre-Astrolabe, pre veil legacy, I think that green is a tax in that that era of legacy, Um, and I really like that. I like that when you play a bug deck, you have to choose to play things like discard spells and these powerful permanents, uh, Sylvan Library, Oko, Leovold, stuff like that, but you lose out on Pyroblast, which has always been huge in those types of, of... Mirror-y matchups. Um, maybe even in that world, something like K Command becomes interesting. I don't know. But, uh, but Veil just, it, it gives you the Pyroblast in, in your Oko, Sylvan Library, Leavold, Tarmogoyf, all the green stuff deck. And, you know, it's just the, the balance that we had before with Pyroblast existing as that card was nice, in my opinion. And now there's sort of essentially two of them. So, I know it's very different than Pyroblast, but it still accomplishes that, like, slamming a uh, very efficient uh, mirror answer to these cards that are very good kind, kind of effect that is fairly frustrating. So, I'm not sure that I would ban it. I really don't. I don't know what my opinion on that is right now. I think if I were, like, playing a lot of Legacy, there's no way that my banning thesis would agree with, with banning Vale. Uh, it just makes me sad that this card exists.
0: Yeah, my overarching opinion, I guess, would be to ban Astrolabe and then give it three to six months or whatever and, and let's see where these cards like Vale and Oko end up, right? Before we before we go ahead and ban those. Like let's actually do this in like a, a linear manner, right? And that's assuming nothing else comes in and breaks the format. I think after looking at these Theros cards, I think we're pretty safe for a bit, so I think that Vale has a problem coming and going right now. So as you highlighted it's way too cheap to play green right now and also the card plays against blue and black right so you've got discard and you've got counter spells and it, it plays a bit against pyroblast if you're playing blue and they're playing red you know th- those are the the use cases really and it's dead in the other cases so right now with astrolabe you have an environment where it's easy for you to play green and it's easy for your opponent to be to be playing more colors too, namely blue and black, right? So I think that I would like to see what they'll look like in in a more color-stable environment where you know there's a real cost of playing four colors and then take it from there. Because I do think that it's it's potentially a problematic card. And the card that I lined it up most with was Mental Misstep, actually, because so many decks can play it right now. But I kind of want to bring it back to a place where there's a real cost to playing green like you highlighted Wilson and then see how how uh i guess what the meta share of fail would be then
1: i think yeah. it also disincentivizes playing playing a discard based deck where before you if you were playing a thought seize deck you you really felt like you had an advantage in the early game with being able to map out your plays and stripping whatever your opponent needed but now playing a Thoughtseize deck when people are playing main deck Vale, it just it seems seems like something that isn't really what you wanna be doing.
0: Yeah, or at least be boarding out of, right?
1: I could be very wrong about that, but that's that's what I think of as well.
0: No, yes. I actually I think that that you're more right than the metagame is, honestly, but Wilson, what were you gonna say?
2: No, I wasn't gonna say anything useful. I just it's just offer,
0: offering support, just general, That's right. uh, just nice guy Wilson.
2: Something like that. Now, there is a, uh, an interesting difference when, I don't know, this is sort of tangential, but when I'm looking at this chart of cards that have been banned and thinking about now, there's been a big shift in legacy in general in the last couple of years, which is the access to information on websites like MTG Goldfish and streamers in general, having the new and hottest tech. Uh, live on Twitch every day and I'm thinking back to you know that GP almost 10 years ago now where I played Painter and It was a mental misstep tournament and I played four missteps in my deck And I remember everyone thinking like oh There's no way Painter is a good deck choice in a format where one of half of your combo is a one-drop and everybody's playing mental misstep like I played against like some uh, rock deck that was playing four mental missteps in it and I even had like goblin welders and tops and all these one drops. But the thing is, is because it was an era of less information and also people being a little, because of that, uh, less good at playing Legacy, people would always misstep the first thing you played. So I would next level them by playing a top and then following up with a welder and getting the top engine going and all these different things while also having my own missteps. And it was just, I think, a little bit easier in that era uh, just because of the time where you could actually do some things with these cards, but then I guess flash forward now, and sort of my point is that because of the way in which Legacy has gotten very competitive, and the manner in which a lot of players uh, know how to the the correct lines and ways to play these cards, sometimes the power level of the cards can't be mitigated by by these things because your opponent often has learned how to play it. Whether watching so, the streams or whatever, yeah, go on.
1: I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna step in on that because right now I am. I had this thought as we were talking earlier about Blizzard Entertainment just re-released uh, the version of Warcraft that came out 15 years ago, and it's the the exact same game, and it's the game that I'm playing right now, and the idea of how things like can't can't go back to being that the same as they were before. So when when you were speaking earlier, I was talking about like, well, what would happen if right now we just decided, hey, everybody loved playing that like 2011, 2010, 2012 legacy. L- let's, let's just start to play the format with those cards. Let's say all this new stuff, let's forget about it. Let's have a tournament that's legacy 2011. Bro, let's call and- it pre and how? And how? Like, is there actually a name for it? <laughs> You're talking no, you, about just, everything you just, just made pioneer. up. But how that? How that new spread of information and access and like all of those things that used to give you an edge to to make it a little easier are just gone. Given how quick people people have no- like access to that knowledge now, and it could just never go back there. Anyway, that's that's the thought that I had.
2: That's right. I do want to clarify as the co-founder of Cardboard Live that I do think access to information and in gaming is a good thing. Uh, and sometimes it's a f- sort of like, a, I, don't, I don't want to call myself like elitist, but sort of like the competitive player's problem, if you will, when people start, when it becomes more difficult to, to spike events. But that's just, it's still, I, I still think it's better for the game when more people are having more enjoyment of the, the format's that they're playing, uh, and the aggregate, the average skill level gets higher. I think is is generally a positive, in my opinion. So,
0: so I would say that actually, and I'm not positive that I'm following the, the main thread right now, and I'm sorry if I'm not, but I think that actually we're in sort of a a weird spot right now where we don't actually have perfect information, but it's presented as perfect information. Because if you look at the figures that Watsi's giving out, they, they mention. Uh, w- with regard to Ren and Six specifically, they said Rug delver has maintained a 56.5% win rate and earned over three times as many 5O finishes as the next deck. We would have no way of knowing those things. And most importantly, it has a favorable matchup against each of the other 10 most played decks. You can't scrape moto data anymore, and they're not releasing absolutes on, on the number of 5 os that a deck has because they're, they're, they're not printing uh, lists that have duplicate cards, right? So yeah, I, I don't think that's
2: my argument. So I would say, Ian, that it's not a matter of the average player having perfect stats, necessarily, or uh, that sort of level of access to data. I think it's, it's information in that, uh, from an educational standpoint, I think as, a, as sort of an average level player, you can watch all of the best players in the world playing Legacy pretty much every day on a stream. Uh, you can see the published decklist results of not only the Grand Prix or an SCG event, but leagues that happen every single day. And just, just those two things together, just totally changed legacy culture. I mean, I remember like I was improving in legacy by grinding with like four of my friends in a dorm room. And what we were competing against were other collect like small collections of people and know how they were playtesting with each other. And no one was really doing this, like, daily, just, like, massive intake of live video to figure out how to play these decks. Because that just didn't really exist at the time for the Legacy format.
0: Tom, can you put, like, a Bob Dylan sort of, like, croonings behind Wilson's soliloquy there? Oh,
1: definitely. And, and honestly, <laughs> there are so many Legacy podcasts now that are, are literally just talking about that every week that I'm glad that we have one less. Oh. <sighs> I'm just—that's <laughs> getting cut. That's so getting cut. Don't, cut that. <laughs> no, don't cut that.
2: Audience needs to know where you stand.
0: <laughs> so, bro, I, I didn't understand your your World of but, Warcraft point though. Is it that that you didn't go back or you did go back?
1: No, no, no. That—that that I did go back. I, okay, I'm literally playing right now. But the like, the game has changed because oh, all it the things the that used to be challenging and fun to work through. And hard because that, that information of how to do it wasn't easily available and you had to figure it out for yourself are gone, right? That, that information that you had to be able to work your way through with a team of people is now easily available to everybody uh... to where the challenge of actually working through playing it and figuring things out on your own is, is just gone.
0: So now Nax Ramis is like a coloring
1: book. That's what you're saying? No. Well, they're, they're rolling it out in phases, and that will not be a coloring book because <laughs> that will actually be hard. But all of the early stuff that people remember really struggling through is, is just kind of a joke.
0: Gotcha.
1: When you uh, say so you're nice, literally nice, playing it
2: right reports, now, are you, like, right as we're recording right now, Tom?
0: Uh, Bro, you I, hear I, him I, hammering I, on that mechanical keyboard.
1: No, I'm trying to... I, I'm picking some Dreamfoil right now. <laughs> yeah. so dream yeah i need i need more dream foil black ring lair is coming out shortly and uh i stopped pvp'ing to record with everybody so yeah
0: oh we appreciate that
1: yep i th- thank you patreon.com slash did format <laughs> i was really
2: bad so i was really bad at those types of games so i really don't even know any of the things that you just said out of your mouth however I did play casually, and I just remember, like, fishing for two straight days for some sort of, like, turtle mount. And that was, like, I think that was my only memory of of World of Warcraft was I spent, like, literally, like, 48 hours fishing with my friend in the game.
0: Bro, when I tell stories about the month I played World of Warcraft, it sounds like when people tell me stories about doing heroin. Like, I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I called out of work, I, like, wasn't shaving, I stopped washing my face, I had acne... Like I, li- it literally consumed my life for one month.
2: Well, dude, the, the so I'm the fishing thing for me is what really opened my eyes because I really enjoy fishing in real life. I'm gonna go fishing sometime. Oh yeah, let's do it. But it made me realize I was like, why am I fishing? So I, th- I think if I were to, if I were doing anything else, if I were like, you know, killing some hobgoblin somewhere, I don't even know if that's in the game, you know it was it was the act of fishing i think there was it was like a divine act opening the curtain showing me why aren't you doing this in in real life and it just sort of that's when i cut it off
1: yeah some of us didn't cut it off and just spent years of our life playing it and uh i don't want to talk about the actual number of hours i spent playing this game but that's the it best all, part, man. There's it like all a led me line. to a good spot, so I can't complain.
2: Wait, what's the game that our beloved Jerry Me plays a lot? Oh,
1: gosh. Eve Eve Online. Which that's I've a, never that's played. a whole
2: nother level, right? Isn't that like, isn't that like the 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 deep web of uh, MMOs?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like they they don't actually play a game. They they just it's ex, they they keep Excel spreadsheets. Right. And um, it, it's like fantasy accounting. I, I've never <laughs> yes. played, so I'm not actually sure if that's an apt description, but something very similar. Dude, that's yeah. so
2: right. I don't know anything about it, but when Jerry spent like 30 minutes explaining it to me, that's exactly what I walked away with. Dude. When
1: when I went to when I drove Jerry to Grand Prix New Jersey, I'm oh, sorry, to Grand Prix Niagara, the one that uh, he top aided, and on the way on the way there and on the way home he's on his phone on his discord uh trying to deal with a situation because they had like an alliance with other space fleets to where they wouldn't blow each other up and one of the smaller parts of the alliance left and they all started blowing each other up and he's like we're going to lose lose millions in spaceships and he's like he's frantically talking to everybody to try to to try to save some of what they had it was it reminded me a lot of what i did with wow for sure
0: it, it's like a cross between model un and star <laughs> St- star trek or star wars or whatever it's called <laughs> and then weird. also that episode of of south park where where they're all plotting against each other to get the playstation or the xbox it reminds <laughs> me of like the perfect fusion of those three things where you're constantly like betraying each other and making these alliances and whatever Cause like every time I see him, he's like quelling some sort of rebellion amongst the, the proletariat or whatever. And uh, <laughs> yes. he, he's just he's just constantly got this bead of sweat on his forehead that that just is totally Eve related. <laughs> I feel bad for the guy. Oh man. Also, he might be my roommate coming July twenty twenty. So I should
2: wait. What's gonna happen?
0: Uh, if I keep my job here and have to be coming back frequently, I might rent a room off Jerry. Oh. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I hope to not get sucked into that world.
2: Does Jerry listen to this podcast?
0: No, he doesn't listen to any
2: podcast. Okay, so can we make a pact today that if that happens, you will start playing the game and, <laughs> and you you will somehow create the most epic – rebellion against Jerry. And you'll you'll have like you'll have the upper hand that none of the other players have because you're literally in the same room as him. Oh. Do you think that that's you think that that's like acceptable in the game? Like you could actually use like a real world
0: Yes. Do you, but do you think that it should it culminate in an intervention, like an IRL <laughs> intervention where right after his 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 alliance is completely disbanded and his resources are Completely with overdrawn, that we can just be like, you're not allowed to play anymore. Yeah, I don't I even know if like you'll have to do that. That's just gonna
1: right? like leave you homeless, <laughs> like your stuff being thrown out of the apartment, and um, <laughs> not worth it.
2: Or you could probably extort quite a bit of value from the apartment using <laughs> in-game resources. All
0: right, so. The last thing on my notes are Taxian oh, yeah, right. Probe equals stealing signs. Okay. What do you think about that, Wilson?
2: Yeah, yeah that, that, that sounds good to me. I don't know how I've missed
0: that one, but I just want to check everything off this list. Yeah,
2: no, that's uh, relevant, clever, and apt comparison.
0: <sighs> I wanted to also, I forgot to give a shout out to our boy Topher, resident bread tuber, MZ Frost. For winning the legacy PTQ on Moto this weekend with Grixis Delbert,
2: dude, oh. you know that I had no idea that he was from Maine or even American. For some reason, I always <laughs> thought he was British.
0: Well, you got that that like extra E on the end of his name. Yeah, he's I... he's American, though I guess.
1: I had an email that I definitely needed to talk about from Hackbird about their tournament that they're doing at SUCON. Continue. Oh, nobody's going to bite. Oh,
0: I, I got you. Okay.
1: No, I. Hackbird sent me something about their tournament they're doing we're supposed to talk about. But I'm playing World of Warcraft, so I don't want to open up Discord to read it. (laughs) Uh, But I I wanted to get somebody with the Sukhan reference, and I congratulate both of you for not falling for it. (laughs) Fair enough. Nice.
0: All right, bro. If you want to find any of us on Twitter, at Ian18125.
1: At TSmileyMTG.
2: I don't actually know what my Twitter is.
0: I think it's WilsonHunter, right?
2: No, I try. Oh, it's, uh, it's Wilson underscore MTG.
0: Okay, and congratulations on finally moving into the uh, digital realm. Thank that, you. Was, well, the- that wasn't a joke earlier. You really are on there.
2: The Cardboard Live account is me and shared with James, but when I get on Twitter, I get on the Cardboard Live account. So now, yes, I, I have an account, but I have been checking out Twitter through that before, before
0: that. So Interesting. So, yeah, our Dead Format Cast account is not me. It's strictly Tom. Okay. So when he, when he tells Brian David Marshall that he doesn't know shit about diabetes, that's not me. That's Tom. That's... Oh, that's, no. that's that was, and, so and I was on, I was better, on the wrong... Better, I was Tom.
1: absolutely on the wrong account when that happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh... Oh, this is not good. And when he told me that's not how diabetes worked, I was like, I'm just gonna cut my losses right now. You got woke you got woke stolen like, at heart. Go away. Yep.
2: Jeez. I think Dead Format was one of the first ten accounts that I followed on Twitter. Wow.
1: That's 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 big achievement. That means a lot. We should get a trophy for that.
2: Yeah, and I, I certainly have not followed Eternal Glory podcast. I don't know if I've followed Leaving does Leaving a Legacy have a Twitter? Sometimes. Oh, I have a question. Is Tusk Talk still a podcast?
1: No, but no. they have an active Twitter because they they shouted out like, "For all you legacy player, legacy podcast talking shit about enchantress, I'm coming for you." Oh, so like, oh, oh, that's cute. That's really cute. What did so
2: you-? I, I got to tell you guys this. Okay. They There's some there's some person that's named W Hunter, who is a magic player, and I think that their Twitter just says W Hunter,
0: and oh, they really oh yeah.
2: And they're into legacy. They have and they have very different views about the world and a lot of things than I do. Um, but I saw like Tusk Talk batch, bashing them, and I and I was. I'm almost positive that Tusk Talk thinks that that's me. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't have been so excited to bash that person. So did they call him
0: a grinder barnacle turd? <laughs> I don't know. I miss Tusk Talk, man. That was a that was that was a time, man. That that was definitely a time, and that, that's a, that's one of my favorite Twitter accounts to follow. It's pretty good. It cool. is all right. Deadformatcast at gmail.com. dot at your boys. Hopefully, we can do this again sometime, Wilson. This was a lot of fun, and uh, I'll see you in Charlestown.